0: You are listening to the Grace Covenant Cornelius Audio Podcast. Well, this morning, we're going to launch into a, a new series. This is actually a two-part series. And today, I want to more have a conversation with you than preach to you. I want mean, us just to kind of have some interaction and, and talk about... And we've titled this series, Everyday Questions. Everyday Questions. Because as we are processing life and as we are walking out our faith... Uh, how many of you know we have questions? We have questions. Questions about life. Questions about God. Questions about, God, where are you at? And, and what are you up to? And not only do we have questions, but uh, we like answers. How many of you like answers? I like answers. I want to know the why. I want to know the what. But here's the reality. Oftentimes, as we're processing life, as we're living out our faith, we don't have like all of the answers that we want. Therefore, at times we end up frustrated, exasperated. You know, as a pastor, as a pastor, I get asked tough questions all the time, all the time. And sometimes I'm able to like bring an answer. Sometimes I'm able to direct individuals to God's Word, say, hey, check out this passage of Scripture. It will help you as you're wrestling through that question. And sometimes I just have to say, I don't know. I'm sorry, I don't know. I'm I'm trying to figure that out myself. Uh, Because the reality is, again, when in life we have challenges, in life we have questions, and oftentimes there's not answers to the questions. And what that does is it challenges our lives and it challenges our faith. And oftentimes individuals actually walk away from the faith. They wander from the faith because there was a question that was so pressing, that was so challenging, and they couldn't get the answer to the question, so they just abandoned the faith. I, could, I mean, I know a number of folks like that, stories I could tell. So it's those questions that can challenge our faith. Well, I want to begin with this verse of Scripture, and it's not in your notes, so you can jot this reference down. 1 Corinthians thirteen twelve. The Apostle Paul wrote these words Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror, then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. So, according to Paul, we go through life not fully knowing all the answers. We see, we know. But our seeing and our knowing is limited. We search, we ask, we pray, we struggle, and sometimes we just don't have the answers we desperately want. Now, we know God is good, and we know God is working for our good. However, at times, again, we have questions like, God, where are you at? God, what are you up to? God, when are you going to show up? God, when are you going to answer this plea, this request? When are you going to meet me in this point point in place of need? You know, at times... In life, there seems to be more questions than we have answers. Because here's the reality. We are, we are limited human beings. In other words, we don't have all knowledge. We don't have all understanding. We are the created, and God is the creator, right? He's the one who knows all. He's the one who's not limited. We are the ones who are, who are limited. Therefore, we come to things in life that we just can't fully comprehend or understand, and I think, I think personally, that we have to come to a place that we're okay with not knowing. Yeah, right. That we're okay with not knowing. And we're okay in not knowing and saying, I trust God. Because this is what we know. God is good and God's working for our good. Romans eight twenty eight says it so clearly. That in all things, God is working for the good of those who love Him, who are called according to His purpose. So even though I may not understand what I'm going through or what's happening... What I can do is I can trust God in the midst of it. Why? Because God is good and anything that comes from God has to then be good. And we come to those times and those places that we don't have answers. And I I think it's in those situations that we come to that we have to anchor ourselves to the truth that we know, matter of fact, it's been said, and I love this quote. it's not original with me. I read it somewhere, and I can't remember where I read it or who I got it from. But, but the, author of the, the, the author of this quote said, "Never, never doubt in the dark what you know to be true in the light." In other words, anchor yourself to the truth of God's word, so when you come to these times and seasons when you don't know, when there's questions. You don't have answers to what you have yourself anchored, anchored to the truth of God's Word. So this morning, I want to address two questions. Next week, I'm going to address two different questions. But before I get to the questions that we're going to attempt to answer, that I'm going to attempt to answer this morning, let me first ask you a question. Who do we know God to be? From His Word, through your experience, who do we know God to be? Faithful. faithful. So let's start there. God is faithful. One of my favorite passages of Scripture is Lamentations 3, 22, that talks about how God's compassion, His mercy never fails. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. So God is faithful. So when I'm in a tight place, difficult place, what can I count on? I can count on this. God is faithful. Someone else. What do we know of God? He is all-knowing. So He knows it all. I may not know it all because I'm limited. He's unlimited. But God is all-knowing. And this is really important. God sees the big picture. Okay, You and I have little picture. God has big picture because He is all-knowing. What else do we know about God? God is omnipotent, meaning this. He is all potential. He's all power. He's not limited in any way. So in the midst of whatever you're walking through, God has the ability, because He's all power, to alter this situation. What else do we know about God? Love. Love. Okay, He's, he's love. Not, not just God loves, but God is love. So if you don't know what love looks like, just look at God. So then anything that comes to us through God, from God, has to flow through what? Through love, because He is love. What else do we know about God? Forgiving. Forgiving. Yeah, there's a good one. That His His mercies are new every morning. He's rich. Ephesians 2 4 says it like this that God is rich in mercy. Meaning what? He's forgiving. He forgives us when we fall, when we fail, when we when we sin, when we struggle. So it's obviously all of these are right, and we could go on and on talking about who God is. But it's important for us to remember, as we as we deal with these two questions, to remember who God is. So we're answering the questions out of this is who we know God to be. So here's the first question: Why would a God who's all good and all knowing and all powerful allow bad things to happen to good people. I probably get asked this question more than any other question. Why do bad things happen to good people? And this question is not new for us, it's not new for our generation. Matter of this question has been asked down through the ages. I mean, go back and read the book of Job. Um, Job was asking this question. I mean, we're talking thousands of years ago. So it's not a new question. It's a question that humanity has been wrestling with. Why does bad things happen to good people? You know, it's interesting that we never reverse that phrase and ask ourselves this. Why does good things happen to bad people? (laughs) (laughs) As hard as it is to acknowledge, we must remember there's no good people in the absolute sense of the word. All of us, all of us are tainted by and infected with sin. But Jesus said this in Luke 18 19, he says, No one is good except God alone. Yet God brings his goodness to us, even though we are bad. Even though we're not perfect. And again, we're talking about the wonder the wonder of God's grace. But why does why does bad things happen to good people? I mean, I, I experienced it just this week, and if we had time, you could probably tell your story. But I, I mean, I saw it in one of my closest friends who I have the privilege of serving with, Pastor Luke. I've known Pastor Luke since we were in middle school. When we were f- 15, 14, we met when we were 14. I've been knowing Pastor Luke for 14. We're both 53, so we've been knowing each other for a long time, and he is a dear friend, man of God, loves Jesus. And I think he's going to have a special place in heaven because he loves middle schoolers too. <laughs> so he's a, a good and godly man. And this past week, he found out that he has a non Hodgkin's lymphoma. And it's like, God, why? I don't understand that. I mean, Luke loves you, and he's serving you, and he's serving. I mean, of all middle schoolers, why? He's a good man, not perfect, a good man. Why would that happen? One of our elders was diagnosed with breast cancer this week. A good woman, a godly woman. A woman who loves God and serves others. Why? Why? a little personal a little more personal close to home for me is the story of my dad who passed 45 years a good man a faithful man my hero generous kind today's disabled with a stroke challenged to get out of a challenged to get out of the home that I grew up in so I like, got why why does why do those kind of thing? Why do bad things happen to, to good people? Now, let, let me say, when you're in the midst of a really tough time, a challenging time, an adverse time, there's probably no answer that I could give that would be sufficient to help you uh, that would, that would like, meet you at the point of giving you understanding because you're so wrecked by what you're walking through. I mean, sometimes the most important thing you can do is just be the presence of Jesus with people. In other words, just be present with them. But, but let me see if I can attempt to give you just a couple thoughts around what, why does bad things happen to good people? I, I think first and foremost, we need to understand that Jesus said we would have trouble in this world. In other words, trouble for a believer, for a Christ follower is not abnormal, it's normal. Jesus said it would happen. Now, oftentimes I think we have this mentality of, you know, just say yes to Jesus, serve Jesus, everything's going to be wonderful and you have no more trouble. That is not true. That's the opposite of what Jesus said. Actually, Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. But it doesn't end there. He goes on in, in John 16, to say, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And just as Jesus has overcome the world, so we will overcome because we are in Christ. Because he won, we will win. That's the good news today. But the reality is in this present, what we have, trouble. The reality of our lives. It's interesting, if you, if you do a study of scripture, it's interesting that the Bible actually talks more about challenge, adversity, and difficulty than it does blessing and success. Now we want the blessing and success without the trouble, right? Like if they're handing it out, like I would much rather have blessing and success. Somebody else can have the trouble, right? <laughs> but it doesn't work that way. So first, I think mean, first and foremost, Jesus Jesus said we'd have trouble. So to understand why well, bad things happen to good people because because we live in a, in a troubled world. And Jesus never promised like a problem-free existence. What he did promise was his presence in the midst of the problem. That's the good news. Here, here's a second answer to the question, why does bad things happen to good people? We live in a fallen world that's yet to be fully redeemed. In other words, let me say it like this. We live in a messed up world, therefore mess comes to our lives. As a result of sin, the result of the fall, but oh, we see evil playing out, and it, it, it affects us. It detrimentally affects us. Why? Because we live in the world. It's kind of like, it's kind of like, um, how many of you know it's been really hot lately? <laughs> it's been hot at your house. I'm telling you, it's been cracking hot in Troutman. <laughs> really hot. Now, as long as I stay in the air conditioning, I'm okay, But if I go out and work in the yard, I'm out in the heat, guess what happens? I get hot. It's not difficult. (laughs) If I go outside and work in the yard, I'm out in the temperature. And as a result of the temperature, what I get hot, I get hot because it's hot out. So what's happening out there affects me because I'm out there. I'm in it. I retreat back to the air conditioning. Everything's wonderful. As long as I'm out in the heat, I experience what the heat. And it's the same. It's the same in our lives because we live in a world that is fallen. Man, we experience kind of the consequence of that. It detrimentally affects us. Not only that, but we have an adversary. And the word adversary means this: you have someone who's opposed to you. You have someone working against you. In John 10.10, 10, Jesus said it like this, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Peter, in his writing, 1 Peter 5.8, says, Be self-controlled and alert for your is prowling around like a roaring lion, seeking those whom he may devour. Listen, that scripture is about you. But oftentimes bad things happen to good people because we live in a fallen world that's yet to be fully redeemed. Now, again, I've read the end of the book. You can read it yourself. Read the book of Revelation. In the end, God wins, right? But until He wins, until sin is totally defeated, until we have a new heaven and a new earth, a couple of weeks we're going to be talking about it. We're going to do a series called The End. Um, so that's coming up. And we can look forward to the end, but in the present reality, we're still living in a fallen world. And because of that, we have the impact, the, the effect of that In our lives. Here's a third answer to the question: Why does bad things happen to good people? It's this: God often grows us and refines our faith through adversity. Now, it's not that God creates trouble for us, but oftentimes God allows adversity in our lives because He's concerned about who we are and who we're becoming. How many of you know? You grow more in your faith in times of challenge than in times of ease. Would you agree with that? Man, when, when, it, when it's easy and the blessings are flowing, you, you know what your tendency is? Your tendency is like my tendency, like your neighbor sitting, too, sitting there by you. When, when things are great and the blessings are flowing, your tendency, my tendency is to coast. You ever been on a, like a, a lazy river? You know what a lazy river is? Where you just kind of sit back on the tube and it just kind of carries your... Uh, that's what we do as Christians. Life's good, life's easy. You're just going to coast. Allow a little adversity or trouble to come into your life and what happens? God! And we get serious, don't we? We get desperate in our pursuit of God. We're digging into the Word. Why? Because there's been some adversity, there's some challenge, and we're seeking our roots deeper into God. James says it like this: James chapter one, verses two through four. He says, "When trouble comes your way," this is a paraphrase. But he says, "When trouble comes your way, throw a party," because it's the trying of your faith that brings about perseverance, and perseverance then works the maturing of your faith. Now, sometimes bad things happen to good people because God's growing us in our lives, growing us in our faith. So when the bad things do come to good people, because listen, this sanctuary today is full of good people. None of us are perfect, I, I get that. But this sanctuary today is full of good people who love Jesus and, and you want to know God, you want to experience God in a greater way in your life. Listen, if you didn't, you'd be on the lake right now. You wouldn't be here. <laughs> You're here for a purpose. So this sanctuary is full of, of good people. Watching online, there's a lot of good people. And bad things are going to happen to good people. And when it does, here's a few things you want to remember. Always ask what, not why. Don't get stuck in the why. What? God, what are you doing in my life? Here's the second thing. I encourage you to focus on Jesus, not the problem. Magnify Jesus. Don't magnify the problem. The third thing I would encourage you to is this. Never forget. Whatever problem you come to, you'll never face that problem alone. You have help. Turn to your neighbor and say, hey, you've got help. Go ahead and tell them you have help. That's the good news. Bad things do happen to good people. And in the midst of it all, God is sovereign and God's in control. So, here's the second question. I have a couple of minutes left. Why does a God who's all-knowing and all-powerful not answer my prayers? Any of you have prayers that go unanswered? And you ask why? A couple of us? Probably all of us. We pray, we ask, we seek, and we don't get the answers we want. I mean, God directs us to pray. He invites us, ask, seek, not. So when we pray, we're not praying presumptuously. We're we're really praying at God's invitation. Yet oftentimes it's like, the heavens are silent. And when our prayers are not answered, we have questions. It, it, really, it even raises more questions. Like, does prayer really work? Does God care? Does this faith thing work? I mean, I'm praying and I'm not getting answers. I'm praying and I'm, and I'm not hearing. Now I'm not certain I can fully answer this question to everyone's satisfaction, but, but let me see if I can give you a few reasons why I believe our prayers oftentimes can go unanswered. I think the first is this at times, at times prayers are not answered because they're not aligned to God's will. In other words, we're praying according to my will, not God's will. Our will, not God's will. We're praying in a way that's more focused on me and what I want than focused on God and what God wants. In Matthew 26, verse 39, we have Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane just before going to the cross. And he's there in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's praying to the Father. And I want you to listen to what he prayed. My Father, if it's possible... May this cut be taken for me, yet not as I will, but as you will. The Father's will was that the penalty of sin be paid for and that humanity be redeemed. For that to happen, someone had to pay the price. And so the Father didn't spare Jesus from the cross he actually sent Him to the cross because it was a part of the greater plan of redemption. So Jesus submits His will to the will of the Father. Well, he brought His will in alignment to the will of the Father. You know, at times at times we, we pray for things or, or we're seeking answers to the situation that we're facing and we don't get the response we want because I think at times God has a different plan than our plan. God has a different purpose than the purpose that, that we would have. And see, we're not aware then of God's greater plan. As I said earlier, we are limited human beings. We're living in the present. Most of you have already forgot what happened yesterday. To talk with you about what happened a week ago, like you have you know you've slept since then, right? We're we're living in the present, we have no idea what the future holds. I mean, we really don't. I mean we we think we have an idea. I mean I have my calendar laid out. But I, I mean I don't know what tomorrow holds. What I'm limited in my understanding, but God is unlimited. And oftentimes we're not praying in alignment with God's will because we don't see the bigger picture. We don't see the bigger plan. So we're praying for what we want, not what God wants. So we're out of alignment. I think at times prayers are not answered because they're not aligned to God's will and they're selfishly motivated. So we're we're praying with a wrong motive. In James chapter four, verse three, listen to what the scripture says. When you ask, you do not receive. When you ask, you do not receive. And he goes on to say this, because you ask with wrong motives. That you may spend what you get on your pleasures. So selfish, self-seeking prayers that are that are not aligned to God's will will not be answered. So if you're praying about you and your prayer is self-focused, self-centered, I tell you, you're wasting your words and you're wasting your time. Your prayer is not aligned to God's will. Selfishly motivated. And there's a third issue in relation to praying in alignment with God's will, and it's the issue of timing. Yeah, I again I happen to believe that sometimes God's answer to our prayers is not no, but it's not now. It's not that he's saying no, he's just saying no, not right t- it's not the right time yet. And oftentimes we get frustrated because like we're not getting the answer, and we're thinking we're thinking God's not hearing us, the heavens are silent, God's saying no, and God's saying, No, I'm 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 playing your life to the big picture, to the big plan. And it's not time yet. We see this with Abraham. You can read the story in Genesis 15. But Abraham is, is praying to God. He's asking God for a son. Sarah and Abraham are barren. They have no children. So said, God, give us a son through which um, our we can have offspring. We're, we'll be blessed. And, and God says to Abraham, yeah, I'm going to bless you with a son. Abraham's like, oh, that's awesome. And then there's a 25-year delay. God said, yes, I'm going to answer your prayer. I'm going to bless you with offspring. You're going to have a son, but not yet. 25 years later, Abraham experienced the fulfillment of the prayer that he had prayed, that God had answered. So God said, yes, but it's not time yet. Oftentimes, we find that true in our own lives is, is the timing is not right. So we want to continue to pray, we want to continue to see, but we want to pray in alignment with God's will. So maybe you're asking, how do I know what God's will is? Listen, the best way to discover God's will is through God's Word. If you want to know God's will, become a student of God's Word. The more you study God's Word, the more you're going to know God's will, and you're going to be able to pray in alignment with God's will because you understand who God is through His Word. Because the Word, the Bible, is the place where we, where we discover who God is. So, first, oftentimes prayers go on answered because not aligned to god's will here's the second reason that your prayers may not be answered at times they're they're not answered because god himself is the greater answer than the things we're asking for god himself in other words we want relief but god wants to bring revelation we want to see god's hand at work and god wants us to know him more So oftentimes what there's there's a delay, our prayers are not answered because God's doing something greater, more significant in your life. And oftentimes we we struggle to see that we see this playing out in in the Apostle Paul's life, 2nd Corinthians chapter 12. Paul talks about a thorn in the flesh. Had this thorn in the flesh. Now, we don't know exactly what the thorn in the flesh was. We don't know if it was a, a physical ailment. We don't know if it was the Judaizers. But, but he identifies there, there was a problem. There was something in his life that he didn't want in his life. Because the Scripture says he pleaded with God three times. God, rescue me. God, take care of this. God, remove this. You know what? God said, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to do something greater. My, this is what God said to Paul. He says, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. I'm going to manifest my power in your weakness. In other words, he's saying to Paul, Paul, I'm not going to remove this. I'm not going to respond to your prayer the way you want me to because I have something greater for you and it's called myself. So Paul says, I'm going to, I'm going to rejoice even more in my weakness. So that God's greatness might be manifested in my life. And at times, I think our prayers are not answered because God really wants us to know Him in a greater way. So there's this ongoing pursuit of Him that brings about greater revelation of who He is in our lives. Hey, here's a third reason I think at times our prayers can go unanswered and it's the issue of sin. Sin, sin in our lives, unconfessed, unrepented of sin, can be like an obstacle, it can be a limiting factor, it can be a hindrance in our lives, keeping us from praying effectively. Isaiah 59, verse 1 and 2, reads like this, Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to say, nor is ear too dull to hear. So the problem is not in His ability, the problem is not in, in His hearing. It's what Isaiah is saying. He goes on to say, But your iniquities, your sins, have separated you from God so that He will not hear. Psalm, Psalm 66, 18, David wrote these words, If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have heard me. In other words, if I would kept sin hidden in my life, the, the Lord wouldn't hear my prayers. So sin, unconfessed sin, becomes a problem. That's why I, I suggest Routine repentance. I call it R&R. What do you need? You need routine repentance, just like me. Listen, every morning when I have my private time of worship, when it's just me and God hanging out, what I do every morning is I start my time of, of private devotions and worship with repentance. Why do I do that? Because I mess stuff up just like you. And I don't want anything to limit to be a hindrance that's keeping me from connecting effectively with God. So what do I do? I repent. Here's the good news. His mercies are new to me every morning. Isn't that good news? So I, I deal with any potential of sin in my life because I don't want anything left unaddressed that becomes a hindrance, a lid that limits effective prayer. But sin, unconfessed sin... Can create a problem. It, it can cause your prayer to go unanswered. Here's the final reason I think our prayers can go unanswered, and it's because they're being directly contested by spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. You know, in Ephesians 6:12, the Apostle Paul says that our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against principalities and powers. In other words, there is this whole conflict happening around us that we're unaware of. We live in a physical realm, but there's a spiritual realm happening around us that we do not have the ability today to see into. But it's real. And there's conflict. And oftentimes in that conflict, the adversary of our soul and his demonic forces can create interference. Have you ever listened to a radio and there's static on the radio? And it's like you're kind of getting part of the song or put part of what's being said, but you're not really hearing it. Well, you have interference. I think oftentimes the enemy can create interference that impedes our prayers. But it's warfare. It's spiritual warfare. It's about this conflict that's going on. I mean, we know this. Because of a story in the book of Daniel, and you can check this out later. I don't, I don't have time to read the whole chapter to you. But let me just give you the quick summary. Daniel chapter 10, the prophet Daniel. Daniel is praying. The scripture says that he humbles himself to seek the face of God and he's fasting and praying and he hears nothing. Heavens are silent, day one. Heaven's a silent day two. heaven's a silent day three all the way up to day 21 on the 21st day an angel a messenger of God comes to Daniel and when he tells Daniel is this Daniel the first day you set your heart to pray God heard you and he sent me with the answer. But for 21 days, I've been held back. I have been limited. I have been stopped by the Prince of Persia. Now, we're not talking physical kingdom. We're talking spiritual. I've been held back by the Prince of Persia. I've been impeded. I was on the way to bring the answer, but there was some conflict going on, and God had to send Michael the archangel to help me out. Now, listen, I don't even begin to understand all that I just told you. Again, I'm limited and I'm living in a physical reality. There's this spiritual conflict happening around us. But what we know from this story in Daniel is that oftentimes there can be um, the adversary at work impeding the effectiveness of our prayer. So, what do we need to do? We need to do what Daniel did. Well, he kept on praying. He didn't stop at day one, he didn't stop at day two, he didn't stop at day three. He kept praying, he kept praying, he kept praying. Day 21, there was breakthrough. I encourage you, keep praying. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 7, Jesus said these words, and I want to give you a paraphrase, or actually how it reads in the original original Greek language. Matthew 7, 7, Jesus said this, Ask, and keep on asking. And it will be given you, seek, And keep on seeking. And you'll find knock. And keep on knocking. And the door will be open to you. And although your prayers may not always be answered when you want them to be answered. Or how you want them to be answered. I encourage you to keep on praying. Be persistent. Keep on praying. Keep on bringing your petitions before the Lord. I want to... I want to leave you this morning with a story and one last passage of Scripture. And the story is a story of a prophet by the name of Habakkuk. You can find his stories through the end of the Old Testament. Three chapters long. But basically, here's the summary of the book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk's frustrated with God. Here's the man of God, the prophet, frustrated with God. And it's like, God, where are you at? God, what are you up to? God, why are you not acting? God, why are you going to use the wicked Babylonians to bring judgment on your people, the Israelites? God, why? What? I mean, it's question after question after question. And when you come to the end of the book, get this, Habakkuk didn't have all of the answers he wanted. There was still some unknowns. But as you come to the end of the book, I want you to notice the summary he came to, the place that he came to, in the midst of all of the unknown, in the midst of God not doing what he thought God would do. I want you to notice his response. It's on the screen. Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 17 and 18. Let's read this together. It's on the screen. Would you read this with me? Though the fig tree does not bud and there's no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. Wow. What a response. Notice what Habakkuk is saying. I don't have all the answers I want. God didn't respond like I thought He was going to respond matter of fact, I, I don't, I, this doesn't make sense. That's what Habakkuk said. This doesn't make sense. Humanly speaking, analytically think, speaking, this doesn't make sense. I don't understand. Yet, yeah. yet, yeah, I'm going to rejoice in the Lord. Yet, yeah, I'm going to set my focus on the Lord. So When you come to a place where you're a good person who's experiencing bad things, you come to a place where you have prayers that are not being answered, I encourage you to do what Habakkuk did. Set your focus on Jesus and seek Jesus. And this is what I can tell you. If you, if you choose to rejoice in the Lord, then somehow, way, God's going to show up in your life. Listen, He's faithful. This is what I'm, we know. God is good and He's working for our good. So that means that somehow, some way, as I do what Habakkuk did, as I choose to rejoice in the Lord, somehow, some way, God's going to show up and bring his goodness in my life. That may not be according to my timeline. But it'll be according to God's timeline and his good plan for my life and for your life. So may we be like Habakkuk. Say, God, I don't understand all of this beyond my comprehension, yet, yet, I'm going to rejoice in You. I'm going to set my focus on You. There may be a storm, but I'm going to dance my way right through it. Amen? Lord, I thank You today for the promise of Your Word, the provision of Your Word, the guidance of Your Word. Lord, the reality is that sometimes life gets difficult and it's complex and complicated. But the reality is that sometimes, God, we have more and we have more questions than we have answers. And Lord, in the midst of that, how we choose to trust you. In the midst of that, God, and we choose to anchor ourselves to this truth that you are good and you're working for our good. Lord, we choose to rejoice in You, even when we don't understand, even when it might be difficult. Like James said, throw a party when you're facing adversity. Holy Spirit, help us to do that. May we anchor ourselves to the truth of Your Word. Because, Lord, what I know is there's going to come times when the storms of life are strong. And Lord, if we're not anchored, our life gets tossed to and and fro. So Holy Spirit, my prayer for myself, for all of my friends here this morning is may we be anchored to the truth of Your Word so that when the times of dark come, we may not question that which we know is true in the light. Holy Spirit, help us to that end. And may we be those who God, bring help and encouragement and hope to others. Because, Lord, we're living in a world where people are asking the very questions we talked about today. Lord, may we we bring hope in those situations as we represent your truth. And again, Holy Spirit, help us be those who say, "Yet I will rejoice in the Lord what I know is it's that that really opens the way for your good work in our lives Lord I pray these things in Jesus name Amen For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities directions and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org